Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, and expanding the public sphere and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guest is Joshua Salim, the Peace Education Program Director of the American Friends Service Committee. Today, we're going to talk about um, alternative uh, discipline and empowerment of students within schools and what all that uh, entails. And uh, first of all, Joshua, welcome and and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's great to be here with you. So I know I, in my introduction, I sort of butchered what uh, you're about, what your programs are about and what you do. So uh, take me back and, and tell me when you go into a school, what, what are you looking to achieve? So first of all, um, we are looking to achieve um, community and, and build community, a sense of community. Um, at the same time, our mission is to partner with the young people, with the students in a particular school um, to help them gain a sense of their own power to create change in their school, um, but then also in the community. And um, we've done that since I, I became the, the program director for AFSC in 2012 up till, up till now, so the last eight years or so. Uh, where are some of the schools that you've been involved at and, and, and how are things going right now during the pandemic? Yeah, so that, that first year that I came on board, the 2012-2013 school year, we were in three schools, one of them um, in the Ferguson Florissant School District, one of them was a charter school um, that was actually down the street from our office at the time, and then Northwest Academy of Law in St. Louis Public Schools. And um, I would say the strongest partnership that we've had through the years has been with SLPS, and um, since 2012, we've been at Northwest. We've also been at Sumner. Um, we've touched Vashon and Roosevelt at different points, doing more kind of push in um, education, not necessarily programming. But um, yeah, we've, we've had different relationships throughout the years. Um, and COVID, the pandemic has definitely uh, been an issue. <laughs> uh, we we kind of had to interrupt our our, our year of programming, we were doing peer mediation at, uh, at Northwest Academy of Law last year and had to stop. And so our school-based programming has been on kind of on hold as schools have been in between virtual and in-person. Um, we've, we've just kind of been on hold doing more advocacy work um, and engagement with young people outside of schools through the pandemic. How is the pandemic affecting the students, especially at the, that high school age, uh, where there's a little bit more freedom uh, involved? And, and so how, how are you interacting with them? How, is, how are you helping them during this weird period that we're going through? In a number of different ways, uh, this, the, same th the same things that adults are going through are the, the, the very same thing that our, our young people are going through. Um, so just a, a sense of... <laughs> I don't know, grief of having to be inside, especially now that it's winter. Um, the 
I, I've talked to teachers and the young people who, I've, and, and my own kids who, you know, were very excited about the the prospect of going back to school. Um, so I think there's a level of um, appreciation for the school and education in a way that that we took for granted before the pandemic. Um, I've also heard from young people that because they're they're in, they're at home. Um, there's just a lot more conflict, <laughs> and a lot more tension there, um, which is which is natural, which is happening all over the place. Um, and I, I think something that is maybe unique to um, our young people in high school is the reality that they um, are having a difficulty find finding jobs um, and and work through a pandemic. And so we've tried to to do what we can to, to support in that way. And we've had a number of showcases where young people have uh, been able to submit kind of art or just a, maybe it's a, a letter saying, this is how the pandemic is um, impacting me. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll send uh, a gift card for, um, for them submitting that. So we've, we've tried to kind of shift our programming and, and pivot in different ways to, to support the needs of young people that are, that are going through what, the pandemic with us. Okay, great. Now you had mentioned that um, you had sort of the strongest uh, program at Northwest High School within the St. Louis Public Schools. So can you talk a little bit more about that, about a school needs needing to fully commit to this type of program? Yeah. And, and so I guess if this is a, a good time to kind of um, talk about what we mean when we say restorative practices and restorative justice. Um, and so the, the International Institute for Restorative Practices kind of distinguishes between the two. And for restorative practices, they, they talk about that being about proactively building relationship and community to avert conflict and harm. So kind of getting ahead of things. And then restorative justice is reactive and, and, and sort of set in motion after there's been misbehavior or, you know, a conflict is erupted. And so restorative justice is, is, is in that way reactive. And, and so in the school context, I think you, you definitely need restorative practices because um, if you're only just sort of putting out fires or trying to put out fires with restorative justice, it, it, it's not going to be as effective. I mean, I, I think it can work, but it's not going to be as impactful. You're not going to have that community or sense of community and strong ties to the school that you would have if you're if you take a restorative practice approach. And a restorative practice, for example, would be um, like a check-in or like a welcoming circle at the beginning of the day where students are coming in. Typically, teachers might just start the lesson or start their day um, without acknowledging that you know, students are bringing in what they're bringing in, uh, <laughs> whether it's a fight that they, that they had with their mom that morning or a weekend and some, some tragic event has, has happened. Restorative practices allow, I think, our students and teachers to be whole human beings in the school context. Um, and then when you, when you add restorative justice to that, um, when there has been harm, there, there is an understanding that this is how we're, we're going to deal with it. Um, because if you, if you, what I've seen, it's, it's, it's been difficult to, for example, do a restorative circle. So let's say that there's been um, uh, a fight that's happened and you try to do a restorative kind of conflict 
resolution circle with some young people, if they haven't been introduced to the concept of a circle prior to that, it, it's, it's really difficult to, to have them fully engage and, and really feel that they can be open and vulnerable in that restorative um, conflict circle. So um, I really feel like schools need to have that, um, that approach and, and, and in order for this to work, it has to be all in. <laughs> we gotta be all in with restorative practices and restorative justice. It can't just be an option that they choose some, some of the time. It's gotta be kind of our, our first, um, first go-to for how we respond to student misbehavior. It sounds like the what the restorative practices do is it builds relationships first. And that it, it, if and when you get to restorative justice, then the relationships are already there. So that if there is a student-teacher conflict, they've had a relationship before that. If there's a student-student conflict, they have a relationship. And so as you go through the process of the restorative justice, you're dealing with a person you have a relationship with, uh, hopefully a caring relationship with. And so it's easier to, to ratchet that down a little bit. Exactly. That, that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, it. Those restorative practices build a relationship um, and then allow um, that relationship to, to str really strengthen when there has been um, tension or conflict. It, it allows you to to more easily work through that conflict as, as, as opposed to avoiding the conflict or simply um, kind of stepping around it. There was a situation the year before last where a young person was suspended because of a fight that had happened. And um, in con we were in contact with uh, the teacher who was kind of facilitating the peer mediation circles with us. And um, the administration approached us and said, we're worried about this fight escalating again. They've been out of school for a couple of days and we don't like, we don't want them, we don't want it to continue. And so we had uh, what's called a restorative kind of re-entry circle where we sat down with the student, with the teacher, with the, the assistant principal, um, myself and my colleague, Jonathan Polfus, and it was just a time of sharing, like, and, and communicating to the student, hey, we know you're back. We know this happened. We want you here. We don't want the, 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 the behavior that caused you to be suspended to continue. Um, and it was, it was transformative um, in, in terms of the relationship that she had with that teacher. Um, because they had, I mean, they knew each other through class, but she had never heard from the teacher because one of the questions is what, what do you value? What do you appreciate about the young person sitting here? And she had never heard that from the teacher or from the vice principal. And so it's, it's a beautiful space to be in and one that we don't <laughs> have often enough in schools, um, spaces where we can appreciate one another and let, let folks know, Hey, this is, this is not okay. We don't want you to continue down this path, you know, and she didn't. <laughs> they were worried about the fight continuing and it didn't happen. So um, I share that just as an example of the things that can come out, the beautiful things that can come out of restorative justice. And then it becomes a, we don't want you to go down this path because we care about you as opposed to, we just don't want you to go down that path and we're going, because we want to restrict you. It, it becomes, um, Again, a relationship, a, 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 a mutual relationship as opposed to a, a, a us versus them situation. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
So um, let's take this one step further. Your organization also works on building um, advocacy power within students. So it's not just about um, uh, getting along, but but also having the students be aware of things that aren't right and, and empowering them to speak up uh, in that situation. Talk talk to me a little bit about how that works and 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 things along those lines. Yeah. So the the traditional uh, what's called the retributive, retributive or punitive model kind of lays out what rule was broken, um, who broke it, and what's the punishment. Um, restorative justice asks who was harmed, what do they need, and how do we repair that harm. And in the retributive punitive system or approach, young people are really having things done to them. So they didn't have any say on developing those, the, that, those rules. Um, definitely don't have any say in how punishment is, is, is kind of laid out. Um, in the restorative approach, young people are actively involved in answering those questions of what's, what's the harm that's been done? How can I repair it? Um, it's an approach that's naturally, I think, more, um, there's, a, there's more of a sense of empowerment and agency when you're not just saying you broke this rule, therefore you you get this punishment. You're saying you really have the young people, especially for those who are um, who have caused the harm. In this in this approach, they they get to think about the impact of their actions um, and who they who they have harmed in a way that you know if we're simply saying you <laughs> you know you you disrupted this class you know, therefore you get in-school detention. In the restorative process, there is a time and a space for, for them to think about, hey, I, I'm, I, I disrupted this class and I might've caused someone to, they weren't, because of my actions, they weren't as prepared as they could be for the test that came next period. Um, there is time and space for, for that level of accountability and um, understanding that, that just doesn't have, happen when you have a, a purely punitive um, approach and model. And then in addition to that, the students then have ownership in, in the school atmosphere then. It, it, it is yep. their um, uh, their environment um, and, and not one that they're being forced to be in, which I think all of us at some point have felt that about school. Oh, I don't want to be here. Um, but that this is where I want to be and I want this place to be a good place for all of us. So it, it adds some ownership for the students. Yeah. That's for sure. That's for sure. Tell, tell me about peer, uh, define peer mediation and, and how that's structured. So I'll say, and when we first started, uh, we, we kind of knew we wanted to focus on violence in the community and our curriculum, our conflict resolution curriculum called Help Increase the Peace. Um, it helps young people connect how violence that we witness and um, an experience in our community is connected to societal injustice. Um, so we talk about racism, poverty, all those different um, kind of bigger issues that fuel the violence that we see. And so that first year we had young people do a project where they kind of named the issue of, of violence, did some research and they presented um, to the school community their findings. That next year, we, we had a group of young people, again, we did that curriculum, um, 
their project that they wanted to do was peer mediation. They wanted to have a space where they could help uh, de-escalate conflict without adults <laughs> um, and that they could help their peers just kind of wade through relationships, wade through conflict that they were going through. Um, and so we supplied the training, um, the administration. We had some some leaders who kind of stepped up and said, we want to do this. And then we had some teachers, administration, identify some more students. And so we we did that training and allowed them to, to do what we knew that they could do. And so they would hear about conflicts that were brewing from social media or, you know, stuff that happened on the bus. Um, they would bring it uh, to us. I think we met every probably two, two to three times a week on A or B days. Um, and in that session, in that time, they were identifying conflicts. We would find those students, bring them in, and then they would have a time to, to walk, you know, just talk, talk with them about what was going on. Um, there was an adult in the room. Sometimes I was there. Sometimes it was a teacher. But we were just there to make sure stuff didn't go out of hand. Um, and it, 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 it really never did. Um, and, and I think that allowed the young people to feel like we trusted them to do what you know, we knew that they could do. It is a beautiful thing to watch when young people kind of step up in that way. And so w what's, what's the reaction of, of um, the, the peers? Um, I just remembering from when I was in high school, if there was a group going around school, you know, saying, Oh, well, you know, you're doing wrong. We need to talk about this. The, the other kids would say, uh, yeah, right. Sure. So, so how do you, how do we get, how does buy-in come from, from all parties in this? I think we've tried to, to address that by, <clears throat> by one, having, um, we typically have upperclassmen who are the, the mediators. So if there are stuff happening or things happening at the freshman, sophomore level, there's kind of a, um, a level of we're in charge <laughs> as, the, as the seniors, juniors. So what we say goes um, and the, the underclassmen have to go with it. But then at the same time, we also have been intentional about involving not just the kids with good grades, but really reaching out to those young people who are who might be classified as the hall walk, hall walkers, like the kids <laughs> who aren't, aren't in school, and giving them a le a level of of leadership and visibility that they historically have not had, um, and saying like we we see something in you, um, we see leadership in you, and we want to develop that and tap into it. And so these might be the kids who are known for getting in trouble. And once you give them some responsibility, they start to, to change in other ways. And, and in, that, in that peer mediation setting, they have the credibility with those other students who are getting in trouble um, to say, hey, you know, you should, you should come into this process and enter into it. And it's okay to be vulnerable. They have the credibility with those students who are getting in trouble um, in a way that, uh, you know, the, the typical, you know, teacher's pets or mm -hmm. A students um, don't. Not to say that there are some who don't have credibility with both, but we, we do try to get a mix of students who, who are typically in trouble, but then also students who are the, more of the honor roll um, type students as well. Okay. And thinking back to our earlier conversation, I guess if you're doing those restorative practices first, relationship building first, then that trust factor is there to be vulnerable when you need to. Yep. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what kind of resistance do you get from teachers, administrators, schools, and, and how do you overcome that? Yeah, that, yeah, that's real. <laughs> Thank you for, for naming that because, you know, when we first started talking about restorative justice, I, I still got this reaction um, from some, not from, not in SLPS. There was a, a friend of a, a friend whose father um, is a teacher and we were kind of talking about our work and I mentioned restorative justice and he, he, he kind of rolled his eyes and said, Oh, you mean that kumbaya stuff? <laughs> and we were like, and, and that's, that's typically the re reaction that you get. <clears throat> it's like, you're, you're being soft on kids. This is some, some kind of hippie stuff because I think the, the approach that we've had for so long is that we need to be hard on kids. Um, we need to have kind of strict discipline and, and punishment when, when they've misbehaved because how, how are they going to learn otherwise? Um, and so that's been some of the pushback that we've gotten. Um, I would say at Northwest, because the leadership, they had this approach. That first year, some of the teachers were on board, um, but then it grew and grew. I would say the most resistant <laughs> that we got a re resistance that we got was from the, the security professionals who were in the building um, who kind of have to be in the front of situations when there, there are fights. And so I, I remember a fight kind of blowing up right out. I, w I had an office in the school at the time and it blew up kind of right outside my door. And I overheard one of the security um, professionals saying, you know, uh, all y'all are going to do is, 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 is send them home and they'll be back tomorrow fighting because you're, you're, you're just soft on, you're, you're soft on kids. And um, so that's been a critic, that's been a criticism. And I would, I would say to that, we have said to that, the punitive system, I've, in, in my view, is, is, is softer on kids because you, you've got some young people who would rather just take a suspension then enter into a conversation where they're going to have to talk about, you know, the impact that their actions had on their peers. They would love to just go home um, rather than enter into a circle where they're going to have to be vulnerable. Um, and so in some ways, the, the restorative process is, is a lot more difficult and um, it is more accountable than the punitive system. Um, so that's, those, those are some of the critiques that we've gotten through the years that it's, you know, it's being soft on kids. Um, you're letting, letting them off easy. They, they need to be punished. Um, that those types of things. What, what type of, um, resources do a, does a school need to think about having, um, in order to implement something like this? Do, do they need to rethink the way they budget? Do they need to rethink the way they hire um, and, and things along those lines? Yes, at the, at the district level, school districts need to be thinking about their budgets and how they allocate resources for things like security um, versus things like um, social workers, counselors, um, I would, I would argue that restorative practitioners need to be in the building. Um, we, we had a chance to visit in 2017, Oakland, uh, California, restorative justice for Oakland youth. And at the time, each of, we visited a middle school and I think each of their schools in that school district had, 
had a restorative practitioner. We visited her room. There was, it was, it was very peaceful. <laughs> um, and it was a space for young people to, to do this restorative work. Um, but that requires money. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think school districts need to, to shift how they allocate resources around these issues and really think about what, what is really going to make students feel connected and safe in school. Um, at, the, at the school level, well, and, and then you also think about training. Um, that, that costs money. So training for district officials, school officials in restorative practices, having restorative practitioners, um, and just a, a, a whole different approach. Because again, going back to the, the difference between punitive and restorative discipline, um, restorative discipline takes a lot more time. Um, suspensions are easy. Expulsions are easy. Um, you need you need time and, and, and people uh, and staff time to really implement these restorative responses to, to student misbehavior. Yeah, those are some of the resources and, 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 and partnerships. So it's my understanding that SLPS, a lot of the much of how they kind of get the resources to um, to have social workers in the building. It's through partnerships with outside organizations. And so I think that could be another way um, to get restorative practitioners in all, all of the school buildings. One, the, the, the big push for the education task force of MCU is to shut off at the source, the school to prison pipeline. That's sort of our goal within our structure because that school to prison pipeline is, is our big issue. So talk to me about how what you're talking about relates to that. I've, I mean, I've seen it play out. Um, we, we had relationships with, we had relationship with a young person, went to DC with us, uh, met then Senator McCaskill talking about violence in the community. Um, and we were, had a lot of, a lot of hope and still do for, for his future. Um, he was expelled from school as he was in between schools. He got involved with uh, some things that he shouldn't been, been, shouldn't have been involved with and ended up getting charged and sent to prison. And so that I, I've seen the school to prison pipeline in action. And it's my belief that if he, if, if he had been able to, to stay in school, if there would have been, and I, and I know some people might think this is too idealistic, but um, if there had been a way to to have a conversation, to, to, to talk with them about the impact of his actions on that other student, instead of him being expelled, um, I don't think he would have been, he would be in prison today. And um, I know that there are other young people in similar situations um, just being pushed out of schools because, you know, either they're expelled or through multiple suspensions, or even I think the research shows that one suspension increases, I can't remember the percentage, increases your likelihood that you'll end up in the criminal justice system. So if we can in schools, as MCU is trying to do, you know, break that pipeline through restorative practices, restorative justice, through policies um, and budgets that 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 
as you as you talked about, kind of shut off the valve that that pushes students far, farther down the pipeline, um, the the better we'll be. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely appreciative of the partnership with the the education task force and MCU, um, allowing me to to speak on these issues here, but then also you know our partnership with the Real Student Safety Campaign, um, trying to get school districts to um, rethink budgets and how they consider, you know, security and safety and how we can really invest in our, our students um, in a way that doesn't further push them down the pipeline. Talk a little bit about your relationship with MCU to this point. What types of things have you worked on with MCU? We've, we've more intentionally over the last year or so have been, have been trying to work together um, around school issues. And, um, and so this, this past summer, we, we collaborated on the Children's March um, with Reverend Dr. Dietrich and, um, and others there at MCU kind of leading the community and helping. I mean, we framed that march in, in terms of invest, divest. So we want to divest from uh, punitive models that, that push our students down the pipeline, which is why we start, started at the police headquarters. Um, we want to divest in the same way that we want to divest um, in the community setting from structures and systems and institutions that, uh, that are harmful to our community and invest in, 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 in structures, people, institutions that actually bring the safety that we want to see. We're at the, yeah, we're, we, we, we collaborated on that march and um, continue to collaborate when it comes to agitating different school districts based on, you know, where our relationships are, um, agitating them to push them in a more restorative direction. Okay, great. So tell me a little bit more about the American Friends Service Committee. Uh, what What is it and what's the mission? So the American Friends Service Committee is a, is a Quaker organization that was founded in 1917. Um, it's a it's an organization that promotes lasting peace with justice as a practical expression of faith and action. And so um, the AFSC works on a number of different issues internationally, economic justice, immigrant rights, peace building, justice in Palestine and Israel, and ending mass incarceration. Um, AFSC has been in St. Louis for a while, I think over 50. 50 years, we came in the late 60s doing counter-recruitment work um, around the Vietnam War and have done a different, a, a number of different um, types of work through the years. And when I came on, the, 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 the charge that I was given to was to work with young people around issues of violence and um, systemic oppression. And so um, that's what we try to do here. Okay, great. And do you have any um, events or activities coming up that you want listeners to know about? Sure. So currently we have a survey that we um, have put out to the community around um, discipline in schools, but also safe or security and police in schools. And so we're just trying to get a sense of where people are at on that issue. Um, we also have monthly meetings with young people. Um, and so information about that that survey and then the monthly meetings um, are kind of on our social media, um, on Facebook and on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's kind of what we have going on currently. We're, we also are going to, we're in the process of developing 
an application for Youth Board that will kind of be our, our core base of organizers, youth organizers in this work. Um, so that's going to be coming out within, in, the, in the next two or four weeks. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for all those, all those things. Okay, great. And that leads me to the last question, which is uh, what's the best way to contact or learn more about um, what you, you are up to and, and uh, what the organization is up to? Yeah, so folks can reach out to me. Um, my email is jsalim, that's S-A-L-E-E-M, as in Mary, at AFSC.org. But then on social media as well, you can search for AFSC St. Louis um, on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, great. We'll put some links in the description for the podcast so people can click on that. Um, and I also want to put a shout out for the um, MCU Education Task Force. I know that they are also interested uh, right now. A lot of the leaders in the task force are our former teachers who, who dearly love teaching and, and kids and, and want the best for them. But the task force would really love to have uh, parents involved uh, in the task force. When, uh, if you are a parent um, that is seeing something going on in your school that is, is not right for your kids, uh, contact MCU. You can find us at our website of mcustlewis.org. You can find our contact information there because we really want you, the parents, to be advocates as well uh, that we can work together on that. So it has been great having you with us, Joshua. So thank you for joining us. Um, and I want to remind folks that Joshua Salim is the Peace Education Program Director for the American Friends Service Committee. To learn more about MCU, go to our website, mcustlewis.org, and also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. And I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening. 